Transpotting contains adult language, juvenile humor, and honest depictions of trans joy. Consume at your own discretion. I love, I love it. it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Transpotting. Today is a very special episode. It's me and Celeste. We're going to be talking about religious trauma and fun things like that. It's a good, Yay. Old, it's a good old time. It Hello. was nice, a nice, bright and cheery subject for you all. Yes. <laughs> we'll find a way to enjoy it because I've got a beautiful beer here. It's called a Hazy Jones. It's like 8.5% we were talking about earlier. So hopefully... We're going to get I'll, spicy. Yeah, we're going to get spicy. Spicy. <laughs> Just a little and spicy. a little plug, if you're listening to this, we have a Patreon where you can come watch us live. You can see our beautiful faces. Yeah. Doesn't that sound nice? So go Patreon.com slash... $5 a month. Good times. Or you, you can choose the higher tier reward, which is also $5 a month. <laughs> Yes. I mean, if you want to give us more than that, I'm not going to argue, but... Uh, I will argue. Why? Just just to play devil's advocate, because I oh. like arguing. <laughs> Look, we're trying to get no, this actually this podcast do doesn't cost us money. We'll get there. That's true. We'll that there. would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> we use too many cool tools. Too many cool stuff. That only well, kind tools. of works. Most of the, so the, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was inspired to talk about this subject when you said that I should watch the Duggar uh, documentary. So I did. Yes. And I just wanted to hear what your initial thoughts were on that. And then I'll share mine. Yeah. So... There was a lot of those terms that I grew up hearing. I didn't exactly grow up in a family like that. I grew up in a very conservative religious family. But you know, not... before we get we, before we get too far, yeah. we should probably discuss like what the basic plot of that documentary was. For who sure. the Duggars are, who ILP is, and um, in and then we can go into like how. Adjacent you and I were to them, if yeah, that makes sense. That's a much better structure. Thank you. Thank okay. You. I should write, get, get outlines. I'll ask ChatGPT how to do a podcast. <laughs> how to do a podcast outline. Let's go. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Log in to ChatGPT. No, we're going to cut this part out. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, okay, so... The Duggars were a family who were on a TV show, and I think it was on the TLC channel? It was on TLC. Mm -hmm. It was on TLC, and it was called, like, 19 Kids and Counting. They're a member of a movement that is called uh, the Quiverful Movement, and it's a Christian um, extremist group who basically believe that you need to have as many kids as you can have and homeschool them so that they become warriors for Christ when they grow up. 
and that they'll never be exposed to any of the evils of the world and they'll always stay true to God and each one of your kids is a little arrow in your quiver that you fire out into the world. Yes. And so um, in that show, the kids are very, very well behaved. There's like 19 of them, but they are all very well behaved. None of them scream. None of them are angry. And um, it just seems like on the surface a picture-perfect family. And, of course, as somebody who grew up in a family very similar to it, it is not a picture-perfect family behind the scenes. And in order to get your kids to behave that way, there's certain punishments you have to dole out consistently over and over and over to basically break their will. And that's something that they got into in the documentary of how um, severe the punishments would get and basically how traumatizing it can be to kids. And the other thing that ends up happening a lot of times is either the kids grow up extremely traumatized or they grow up extremely, um, like, into bad actors, which the oldest Duggar kid was arrested, well, first, like, trigger warning, there's sexual assault and child abuse in this episode. It's, yeah. So if you are not into that, uh, you don't have to watch that show. (laughs) And this will probably be a rough episode to listen to as well, just because we're going to kind of touch on a lot of those topics. Yeah, especially how it relates to our own lives. Um, The oldest Duggar kid got arrested, well, first he got in trouble for assaulting his sisters, which they kind of downplayed, and the sisters had to go apologize to him on national TV for accusing him or something like, or basically defend him on national TV. They were like, oh, it really wasn't that bad. Like, they're saying all these nasty things about him. That wasn't true. Yeah, like, we didn't even know it happened. We were asleep when he did it, and whatever. And it's like, okay, that's gross. And then he ended up getting arrested for uh, some really major child pornography charges. And it kind of ruined their whole show, because the whole thing is we're this wholesome family, and then basically they're... What would you call... Him, he was like the poster child, the golden boy. He was the golden boy. And then he's arrested for these really fucked up child pornography charges and is put away for a long, 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 long time. And the patriarch of the family, I can't remember his name, Mr. Duggar, (laughs) is still basically trying to tell his kids that they have to do this show. And then in the show... You know, the kids who did it never saw a dime of any of the money that they ever made from the show. And they were basically working as slaves for their dad up until the day they finally said no, which was deep into their adult lives when they finally realized they could do that. Yeah, that was Jim Bob Duggar, by the way. Jim Bob Duggar, Jim yeah. Bob. I never watched the show, but, you know. I didn't either. Yeah, you, you kind of learn about it through cultural osmosis. Yes. Behind them is the shady organization of a, a Christian cult. And I think they're called, what, ILP? Is that correct? IBLP. IBLP. And I don't know what that stands for. Institute in Basic Life Principles. Right. Which sounds really benign. Yes. Who's the guy who runs that? Who's the head honcho? Um, That was Bill Gothard. Bill Gothard, yeah. And Bill Gothard has some, like, really shady connections to, like, Washington, too. Well, that's, that's like, a big part of the IBLP movement is mm -hmm. about... As, as you were mentioning, the quiverful idea was about 
getting these people that were raised up in this culture and then putting them out and making them lawyers, making them judges, politicians, mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Like, there are even, like, big ones now that, like, sit in our Congress that come from this movement. And Although a lot of the, them end up having scandals, sexual assault scandals or things like that, because it is an environment that breeds um, predators, essentially. It's an extreme male superiority, like... The men are on top in literally every single scenario inside mm -hmm. of this culture. It's it's about really as extreme as it can get. When they show that graphic of the umbrellas, like God yes. is at the top, mm -hmm. and then the husband is under God, and it's a little smaller umbrella, and then the wife is under the husband, and it's a little smaller umbrella, and then the children are not under the wife, right? And, like, I literally had seen that graphic growing up. Me too. Ah, and I was like, oh my god! That was the first where it was like, oh, this is this is a little bit of my life here that I didn't know. Oh yeah. dear. Yeah, it was the kind of thing as I was watching it, like, I had never watched the show ever when it was airing, and when they started talking about, like, IBLP and all this kind of stuff, I'm like, oh shit, I know this group. I know... I know all of these teachings that they're talking about, and it just, like, really brought me back of, like, Oh, my upbringing was somehow worse than I thought it was. Huh. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I shouldn't know all of this. I wish I didn't. <laughs> there was a lot of that for me, too. So the first three episodes, there's four episodes total in the series. The first three deal largely with the Duggars, and then the fourth kind of deals with the fallout from their scandal, and then also the implications of what IBLP has done on a national scale. And they've managed to really hook their teeth into a lot of different churches, a lot of different uh, governments, and a lot of the, like, really cultish behavior I think we're seeing from the far right right now, you can trace, like, directly to them. Yeah. And, yeah. like, one of the biggest names, um, um, I believe he's in North Carolina, is Madison Cawthorn. He sits in, I don't remember if he's in the House or the Senate, but he comes directly from this movement, and he is, you know, pretty widely hated. <laughs> Probably with good reason, too. <laughs> yeah, he says some vile shit. So, uh, so anyway, uh, let's go back to what you're, and, like, I would definitely recommend people watch this documentary. It's not too long. It's like, what? Four hours long, maybe? Yeah, like, maybe slightly less yeah. than four hours. Yeah. It's definitely a good watch. It's entertaining the whole way through. Um, and honestly, some parts I are give, really hard to watch, too. I give big kudos to Amazon for, like, putting this out, because this is, like, an Amazon-produced series. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not here to prop up Amazon every day, so, you know... <laughs> But it, still, it's, when you it's see... just nice that they were able to put their money into something like this and exposing it. And it was a very real, it didn't hold any of the punches, it didn't downplay any of the scandals. It was pretty raw. So It was pretty raw. And um, who was the daughter who was kind of heavily featured, who you could tell was just traumatized through the whole thing? And she sat there with her husband. Can't remember her name. I don't remember her name either, but she was one of the Duggar daughters, and she was one of them that went on national TV to, you know, defend her brother, downplay, def downplay, and defend her brother. Mm -hmm. and, like, 
she talks about in the documentary about how it was like basically forced upon her and her sister to go and do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very much when abuses happen. The idea is we sweep it under the rug because there's no way a good Christian would do something like that. It must've just been a mistake. And then, you know, it becomes a pattern of behavior and a cycle of behavior because they're never punished for it and they never have any consequences for those actions. So anyway, your initial thoughts and reactions. Yeah, We've done so, a pretty good summary, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like it too. So it was, as I mentioned earlier, it was um, bringing back all of these memories while watching it and remembering random conversations from people at the church that I grew up in. Now, were you um, homeschooled? From... No, I was not homeschooled. Okay. Um, I was one of the few in my extended family that wasn't homeschooled. Interesting. So, like, all of my cousins, except for, I think, two of them were homeschooled. But um, all of them live in Michigan, so that's where the vast majority of my family is, and I grew up. And um, my dad was the um, less extreme right of the siblings, and it was still very conservative Christian, all of that kind of stuff. But I was, you know, allowed to go to public school and, you know, listen to secular music and all of that kind of stuff. Ooh, but secular music. Secular oh my God. I know. I mean, oh my gosh. I, Sorry. Gosh. Yeah. Can you believe it? I grew up listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh my gosh. <gasps> Salacious. I know. I didn't get into Red Hot Chili Peppers till I was in college. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I grew up in a very conservative Christian family and my relatives were even more conservative Christian. Um, on my dad's side, it was that very much conservative Christian. Like I remember hearing them talk about IBLP and being quiverful and, you know, believing we don't actually have free will and all of that shit. And and then on my mom's side, I was exposed to uh, my grandparents on that side were Jehovah's Witnesses. So Oof. that was the environment that I grew up in. I would occasionally go to Kingdom Halls on Sundays and attend the Jehovah's Witness Church, which isn't connected to this movement at all, but is how, also how just... How was that, though? So, like, as a kid, I didn't realize, like, I could tell all of these people were a little weird, but... I didn't really have a grasp on what all of that meant. Most of that happened pre like 10 years old and younger was my exposure to that culture. <clears throat> and especially a church that I ended up going to later in my life. So high school, think high school and the beginning of college and be the beginning of college is when I started really falling away from Christianity and like, finally analyzing myself and what I think is right and correct and all of that kind of stuff. And that church was deeply homeschooled. Um, there was a quiverful family there. They had 12 children. They were all homeschooled. They were taught using IBLP. I heard Bill Gothard. I saw some of those videos. Like, 
it was all it was all a lot and like that was uh, also my... the first church that I went to that was like that preached, you know, that homosexuality is a sin and like that was the main point of the sermon sometimes and it was all a lot. And my heart breaks for you. That would be oh yeah. And so especially in high school, I was deep in that Christian life. That's where I was like I really was in it. I wasn't, you know, faking it to be there. The movement had captured me and I understood it and I was all about it. Would you have said that you were on fire for God? Oh, absolutely. Oh. You know, I would have been one of those people that's like, no, no, no. I'm not a Christian. I'm a Jesus father. <laughs> yeah. I used to say that too. <laughs> No, I'm not religious. I have a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And so in high school, I actually volunteered at a summer camp, a, a Bible camp in mm -hmm. Michigan. Southwest Michigan. I was totally ingrained in that. I was camp counselor. I was, you know... Helping, helping out. It wasn't an IBLP level extreme camp by any means, but it was very much a Christian Bible camp. And the counselor for 10 to 14, like middle school boys for a week at a time. I bet you were a fucking cool counselor. I, yeah, I was. Hell yeah, I was. <laughs> <clears throat> and like, I almost took the path of going even farther than that because after I graduated high school I almost took a full-time position at that camp as like a worker and like live on camp and everything like that and I backed out last minute and that is one of the best decisions of my life thank you for thank myself for you know not doing that because who knows how long it would have taken me to discover myself if I had continued and lived in that culture 24-7 yeah, it would have taken you longer, probably. It would have taken me a lot longer. Yeah. So, so how did you end up getting out of it? So, especially... Your, once... Did you have a deconstruction story? So, it's pretty stupid, honestly. So, at this camp, so I was living in Tennessee, and I would go up to Michigan for the summers, right? For this Bible camp, and it was there that I actually got my first ever girlfriend and oh, we were really? a long distance relationship. We lasted exactly one year before she broke up with me. It was our one year anniversary. So, and it was from that moment, you know, I fell into like a pretty deep depression. I had never had a relationship before and, you know, like I really loved her and cared about her. And to this day, I still held, I hold that I deeply cared about her and I did love her. Like that was a real thing. And so I then just kind of fell into a depression and I began to question everything of like, why the fuck is anything the way that it is? And it was through that I was going to church and that's when my family swapped from one church to this more radical church. And I started hearing these more radical things and I'm like, none of this makes sense to me. And I was getting more non-Christian friends at the time as well. And, you know, I was just having those open conversations with friends. And there was that period that, you know, I stopped going to church with my parents. And 
I'm not doing that anymore. I don't like what they're preaching. I don't think I get it. Even the pastor noticed that I stopped coming and he had a lunch with me one day to, you know, see how, how I was spiritually doing and all of that kind of stuff. So over time, I just deconstructed that. And then for a long time, I was agnostic, but wouldn't admit it to myself. Like speaking it out loud would have been too real because like, what if I'm wrong and I go and burn in hell because of this? Like, mm-hmm. isn't it just easier to kind of pretend and like, yes, I do believe this, but just minorly. And like, maybe I'll get into heaven. And there was lots of that, you know, I need to save my soul still. Like that still matters to me. What is, who am I? I don't think I'm just this meat bag with, you know, electricity and hormones coursing through me, and that's all I am. There's got to be something more. And so I battled with that for a really long time. And then one day it was like, yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't believe any of this shit. And I think it actively harms almost everybody that's involved. And if you're listening to this and you're a Christian, I'm sorry. I do not mean to insult you. It is just through my own life experiences and Everything, I cannot see a positive in it, at least for me. So, and that's where I fell away from that. And that's when I moved out of my parents' house. And I was even more free of, you know, living in a house where people read their Bibles every day and all of that kind of stuff. And it was just a very slow deconstruction over time. I know that's probably less interesting than some people's stories, but it was just a very gradual and... I don't know. It just kind of all fell apart. It's like a diminuendo. A slow retardando. Oh, it's a musical term. It just gets quieter and quieter and slower and slower until it's just gone. Yeah. So yeah, that's my whole religious journey. And I still battle with, you know, Christian guilt every now and then I get hit with something. I'm like, oh shit, what I'm doing is bad. And like, what I'm doing (laughs) isn't actually bad. Like, I'm not, nobody's being hurt. Nobody's being anything like that. It's just, it's like, oh, this is going against the teachings of the Bible that I'm doing right now. Like, every now and then that strikes me. Yeah. It's it's funny this is when cotton and polyester. Yeah, that's what I was going to make a joke about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing mixed fabrics. <clears throat> uh, I don't feel guilt about that. No. Although 100% cotton is the best for drying your hair. So maybe the Christians got something right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's give that to the Jews where credit is credit is due. Yes, okay. Fair, yeah. fair. Yeah. That is my story, really. Yeah. Should I go on for mine? Please do. I I feel like it'll be easier to ask questions after we've kind of like compared stories. I think so as well. Okay. So, okay, here we go. <laughs> um, I don't talk about this very often. I think a lot of people know that I was homeschooled, but I don't know that a lot of people know necessarily why or how that got started. I think my mom kind of had like an abusive childhood, and then she found like solace in my dad's family, who were very, very religious, very Christian. 
And so she just glommed onto that, you know, hook, line, and sinker because it was the first time in her life that she had people treating her with love. And she kind of like found a clan and married my dad and wanted to, they waited a long time to have kids. They got married when my mom was 18. And then I was the oldest and she had me when she was 30. And she was a very, very attentive mother. And I used to read to me all the time. And I learned how to read before I was in kindergarten. Just, I think, because she read to me so often and I figured out what the words were. And she went to a teacher and asked, well, what should we do for my kid who already knows how to read? And the teacher said, well, if your kid already knows how to read before kindergarten, in school, they'll do just enough to get by and learn how to just coast by right away. So my mom's like, oh, I don't want that to happen. So I'll homeschool. So she started homeschooling me and got really, really into it. And I was not in a quiverful family. It was just myself and my brother. And I think a big reason for that was my mom got very, very violently sick through all of the pregnancies. And my dad is actually a decent human being. And it was like, I don't want you to have to go through that again. She wanted to have more kids. And he said, no, like, I don't want you to have to go through that. So it was just the two of us growing up. And we grew up on, out on a little farm and, you know, completely isolated from everybody else. The only people who I ever saw were people who I saw on Sunday. And so, you know, my whole life basically revolved around, you know, going to school at home. And then the only friends I had were people who I saw once a week on Sunday, sometimes twice a week, sometimes three times a week, because we would go to Bible study. And then we would go to like Awana or Sparks and stuff like that. Oh, Awana. Oh, oh Yeah. yeah. I was I was really good at memorizing stuff too. So I always had all the little like badges in the crowns and whatever. Oh yeah, I was so proud of that. Yeah, I would you look were at so it. So cool. <laughs> I knew all the I bet Bible you were verses. Carrying so many chairs to impress the girls. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> always. <laughs> Everybody else is like carrying two. I'm over there with like eight. You know. Yep. Barely moving, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah. So cool. And then, um, I think it's kind of like how you were saying with the going to those churches when you're really young, you kind of don't have the context when you're a kid to realize if it's fucked up or if it's normal. And so if you would have asked me when I was like in high school or in junior high or in grade school, do you like homeschooling? I would have said, yeah, of course. And then, you know, obviously now I have very different opinions about that because I see how it affected me later on in life and I have the context for it now. I don't recommend it to anybody because for me, my uh, K through 12 was basically what people experienced during the pandemic, during that isolation period. And that was Mm -hmm. during my formative years, I was isolated in the exact same way. So when the pandemic rolled around and everybody's getting depressed, I was like, oh, well, maybe I should re-examine my life because I don't feel any different. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, how depressing to not feel depressed. Right? 
I was like, this is just normal, right? Why are you all, like, so sad? Wait, this is bad? You guys go outside? <laughs> you guys have friends? What? <laughs> oh. Honestly, um, so anyway, homeschooled all the way. We got involved in homeschool co-ops where we would like meet up once a week with other homeschooled families. And these families were actually, I'm pretty sure at least a couple of them were into the IBLP literature. We weren't ourselves. We were more into the creationist stuff and, um, you know, science denialism. (laughs) A a little side note that I don't think we mentioned before, but IBLP Uh, um, created and spread out their own homeschooling instructions. mm -hmm. So, like, they were people that were raised on the IBLP curriculum and all of that. So, important distinction, because I don't think we mentioned that earlier. No, and it's like, the IBLP curriculum is bad. Like, it is bad. It's, okay, it's like, kids learning about... science or something and they're not learning about science they're learning about why men are superior to women for example yes right yeah why women are not fit to lead because that's a gift that god's given men not women and it says so in the bible and that's how we can back that up yeah like paul says in one of his letters i will not permit a woman to speak or have authority over a man And so a lot of Christians take that at face value and say, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what we do. But Paul was kind of a misogynist anyway. So all of them were. Jesus wasn't too bad, but Paul was really bad. Yes. And um, anyway, where was I going? Sorry, I interrupted. You were talking about you, the homeschooling? Oh, yeah, the homeschool co-op. Homeschool curriculum. That was interesting. We, We kept on doing that until I was about in junior high. And then... I'm not exactly sure what happened, but just kind of everybody quit and or we stopped going. And then in high school, my mom got really sick with something and my brother decided that he hated me. And so I was really in a very, very isolated place because I didn't have anybody to talk to. The only person in my family who seemed to be able to stomach me was my dad, but he was gone all day. So I just kind of hole up by myself you know, in my room upstairs and, you know, play video games or pretend I was doing schoolwork and stuff like that. And, you know, I got really good at tinkering with computers and stuff like that. But, you know, that overall, I would say my I'm like a homeschool success story because I actually did get an education out of it and that I've been able to not necessarily utilize, but you know, I do have a lifelong love of learning that I credit mm-hmm. my mom and dad for instilling into me. Although that lifelong love of learning is what eventually led me away from what they believe in. And I think they have a hard time with that. Sure. But anyway, so then right in the smack dab middle of all of that, um, I went to Teen Pact, which was that thing that you saw at on the fourth episode where they take all these kids and they put them in like the capital and they start teaching them what godly government looks like, how to do like moot court, how to do, um, you know, if you're a senator, what the protocol is, how a bill gets made, how to run for office and all of these things. But from a Christian perspective, like the whole idea is how to use 
the tools of government to advance God's agenda. And so I was like really heavily involved in that as much as a homeschooler can be and went there for several years. And so when that came up in, and it's like just IBLP, like a teen program from IBLP. And I was like, Oh shoot, I went there. I did that. <laughs> that was me. That was like my highlight of the year was going to that in worldview Academy, which was another similar thing. And then <laughs> when I was in like a junior in high school, I started taking distance courses, like college courses from Patrick Henry college, <laughs> which is the same one that shows up where they take all the homeschoolers and try to put them in positions of government. So like, I took like a theology class from them. I took like, uh, what else did I take logic and I, some government class or something like that. And I did pretty well for, like, a kid, but also it's like, <laughs> I'm not sure what they were looking for. In my theology class, I did a, a term paper on glossolia, which is speaking in tongues, and that was, like, my first deep dive into, like, learning about spirituality that didn't look like mine, because I didn't speak tongues. No one in my family spoke tongues. And so when I was kind of researching it, I was like, what even is this? Why do people think it's important? And then I saw, like, people speak tongues all over the world, and people who worship Satan speak tongues, people who worship God speak tongues, people who worship nothing speak tongues. And that was really confusing for me to wrap my hand, head around at the time. I because, knew somebody that spoke in tongues, so... Yeah? My Bible camp, so... Yeah, yeah I have yeah. very good... Uh, I know the association. Yeah. Not very good. Um, no, it's interest. It's it's a psychological frenzy people can whip themselves into, and it mm -hmm. feels. I mean, it's like going to a music concert or something. It's very cathartic for a lot of people, and people misread that as spirituality. And so then after that, my parents sent me to Bible college. <laughs> so I was like deep in it, and then deep. deep, deep. And then I decided I was like, I am really on fire for God. I really want to make a difference for God in the world. So I'm not going to go to a Christian college because I'll have more opportunity to witness to people at a secular university. So I did that. And then I started getting really depressed because I had this cognitive dissonance between what I believed and what I saw in the world. And I didn't know how to reconcile the two. And then also I had all the gender stuff that, you know, hadn't gotten taken care of. I mean, it's a whole extra layer of the cake. That's a whole <laughs> extra layer of the cake. Yeah. And so then many years later, I kind of slowly drifted away, had a hard time with a lot of things and just life in general kind of sucked. And whereas some people like lash out at others when they're hurt, I withdrew and I hid in my room for like a lot of my twenties just because I didn't have a, I kept on asking people like, why do you get out of bed in the morning? Like, what gives you the motivation to keep going? Like, cause when I'm asleep and I wake up, I'm just like, no, I don't have any reason to get out of bed. This was all pre-transition, pre-deconstruction. Nobody could ever have a good answer for me. And now that I've deconstructed and I've transitioned, I'm like looking forward to every day because every day is like, I'm happy to be alive. And that's the first time in my life that I felt happy to be alive, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I started deconstructing like for real, like 
I was never like super militant when it came to Christianity because I believed that if you didn't believe the same thing that I did, I had no right to tell you how to live. So pretty similar to how I was. Yeah, right? And I think people who aren't ha- assholes kind of think that. Anyway, so, <laughs> yeah, like I had a bunch of atheist friends we would have like deep conversations mm-hmm. together with. And I had friends of other faiths that I'd have deep conversations with. Not necessarily trying to convince them, but I wanted to hear their perspective and I wanted to share mine, which is what a conversation is. And so some of those people are still my friends, which a lot of the Christians are not. So because their friendship is actually very conditional, even though they say it's unconditional love, it's conditional as long as you're a Christian. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. Religious trauma, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So anyway, I was looking into going to seminary because I had like been teaching Sunday school. I had been like a counselor at camps multiple times. I um, I'm a good public speaker, honestly. And so I was like, well, maybe I should get involved in being a pastor. This was kind of like right as the pandemic started to hit. And then when I grabbed all these like teaching tracks from my pastors and they were talking about all these seminaries, every single one of these tracks was like the most important job you can have in the world is to be a pastor because it's the only one that deals with people's eternal souls and nothing else matters more than that. And I had a huge issue with that because I was like, number one, that is so fucking arrogant to say my job is more important than everybody else's. Number two, it's completely belittling to people who have extremely important jobs. Like is a mother less important than some guy who goes and talks once a week on Sunday, right? I don't think so. Is a father less important than that? Is the people who keep the power on less important than that? That that people who build the food so people can actually survive, right? (laughs) Anyway, I had a huge issue with that. And then I started applying all of the tools that I had learned of how to pick apart other people's faith and started applying it to my own. And just being like, If this falls apart, it falls apart. And then it all fell apart. And for me, it was ultimately the historicity test that kind of threw the Bible into, like, the junk pile for me. Because if there's actual historical events, you're going to have multiple witnesses and multiple accounts of it. And the only accounts that we have of Jesus are, like, from Josephus' histories. And there's a lot of evidence that those were added after the fact by people who wanted to kind of like prove, oh, you know, oh, Josephus wrote about Jesus here, you know, and so anyway, there's nothing from Origen, there's nothing from um, Pliny the Elder, Pliny the Younger, or all of these like ancient historians, and so then my world kind of crumbled, and for me, going through that deconstruction process was very, very traumatizing, but it was also very, very necessary because... um. I wasn't able to find happiness or joy in life until after I went through that process. And I also wasn't able to conceptualize of myself as trans until after that process. Because there was just such a huge emphasis for me growing up, like, you are the firstborn son. You are, the firstborn son is the most important. The firstborn son, in every single story, is the one who 
inherits everything in the Bible. You know, Jesus is the firstborn. Uh, all of the father's wealth goes to the firstborn always. And always the firstborn son, never the firstborn daughter. And my mother always told me things like, you're my firstborn son and I'll always love you. And then after I transitioned, I was like, will you still love me if I'm your daughter? And she's like, I can always love a daughter, but I never love a daughter the same way I'd love my son. And I was like, ouch. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So there was a big reason that I didn't have that on the table. Even as a kid, I was dealing with all of these feelings that now I recognize as trans. But at the time, I was like, eh. So anyway, now I work with this organization called uh, Recovering from Religion, and I host their LGBTQ uh, weekly meetup which is a really great place for people who are suffering with religious trauma to kind of go and like be able to have a conversation with people who have been there or people who are going through it at the same time. And that's been a really rewarding experience for me. And I've been involved with them for over a year now. So that's been really lovely. Sorry. I kind of went on a long tangent there. Um, Mine was pretty long too. So don't, don't feel bad. There's there's so many layers to all of this, and especially when you're exposed to, like, such, like, world and moral defining things from, from birth through, mm-hmm. like, high school. Those are, like, all of your formative years. It's so hard to think back and be like, was my entire life just built on lies and... And all of, of my rolling people, all of and... my goals are based on lies. All of yes. my relationships are based on lies. All of my, my social status is based on lies. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, so you end up with, well, what the fuck is left? Like, how do I, how do you, you have to relearn how to live life. You've got to recontextualize every single thing. It was honestly in that way, pretty similar as to coming out as trans, like going from being a Christian boy to being a not Christian was completely radicalizing of Mm -hmm. like, it provides a whole different perspective to how you just view people and the things they do and the types of relationships you can have with people and how you view people, how you view the world, how you view the government, how you view... How you view yourself. Yeah. How you view, view pop culture. I, I did start listening to secular music when I was in high school, but I did it on the down low when my parents wouldn't oh. know. Like, I bought, oh. I bought Taylor Swift's album and I, like, hid it from them. <laughs> that and also you too. I, was, I liked Taylor Swift and you too. <laughs> So my parents were very controlling about, like, what I watched on TV, so, mm-hmm. like, movies, and what I played video games. For some reason, they didn't care about the music I listened to. I don't know where that disconnect was. My dad grew up on that type of music as well, so, like, it's not like he was just ignorant to it. It's like he recognized that a lot of Christian music sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, like... I grew up listening to, you know, Rage Against the Machine. Oh, nice. And Metallica and Black Sabbath and, you know, all of these very unchristian bands. And that was my music exposure. When I was in high school and unsupervised on the internet, I would do things like look up 
top 50 rock and roll records of all time and then just start listening to them because I had never been exposed to them at that point. And I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> yeah. So it was very funny. So a lot of my learning of culture was from, I had to learn from movies and TV shows as an adult and especially video games, even for myself that I just wasn't allowed to play as a kid that all of my friends were able to play. And so like, I don't know. It's just relearning culture is weird. There's late. like coming into culture late is such a strange experience because people, first of all, just think you're dumb when you haven't <laughs> yes. watched something that's like, everybody has seen this. What do you mean? You've not seen God, I can't even Anchorman example. Yeah. Anchorman. Great example. Everybody just, quoted Anchorman to me so much when I was in college that when I finally watched it, I knew all the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, it's just a whole, it's a whole fucking mess. It is a mess. It's terrible. It's, I, I, yeah. <clears throat> I, I like, I think that homeschooling people K through 12 is really close to child abuse, especially homeschooled the way that I was and religious homeschooling particularly is definitely child abuse because you're just basically setting your kids up for failure. You're setting your kids up. You're only letting them get that one viewpoint Mm -hmm. and that's not, not it that's not how life works i mean the whole reason that human beings are interesting and beautiful is because we all have different viewpoints we all have different experiences and different rich inner lives and different culture and like shutting people out of that is it's 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 terrible i think so yeah and like i'm never (sighs) gonna have children i don't want children but if theoretically if i did i would definitely also teach them about like what Christians see and what they view and like why they think certain ways and that as well as all sorts of other different cultures and religions as well. Like that's not something I would shut them out of Mm -hmm. because I don't know. There's like, as everybody knows that listens to this podcast, I love horror movies and I specifically love demonic horror movies. I love the extreme Christian heavy themes and horror movies is just, gets me going. That's I love fun. that shit so much. And that's been like one of my favorite favorite things about growing up the way I did is knowing all of these biblical references that are thrown out and all of that kind of stuff. I think the when you look at it as a mythology rather than a way of living, I think some of it's kind of cool. A lot and, of it is really cool actually, especially as mythology. Yeah, like, as mythology, like, there's some there's some dope-ass shit happening here, and, like, I don't know. It's just, it gets me going. Can we talk about the Book of Job for a second? Yes, we can. Because the Book of Job was, like, my favorite book. <laughs> and basically, uh, rough outline of the Book of Job is that Job is the most righteous man on the earth, and God is bragging about how righteous he is. And Satan is there in heaven talking to God and says, the only reason Job likes you is because um, you've blessed him with so much wealth. 
because he's a very, very wealthy. He has so many goats and so many cows, and he's got like seven kids. Like, he's so wealthy. That's the only reason he likes you. So God says, okay, we'll go ahead and take all of that away. I'll lift my protection from him, and you can do whatever you want. So Satan, with the blessing of God, goes and destroys all of Job's wealth, destroys all of his cows, destroys all of his goats, destroys all of his kids, kills them all. And then the rest of the book is Job trying to figure out what he did wrong to deserve this. And then he has like three friends that show up and it's like this long work of epic poetry. The first two chapters set up the story. The next 37 are just them talking about like, you must have done something wrong. And Job's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I can't think of anything, Mm -hmm. but God must be punishing me for some reason. And they're like, well, you need to think of what you did wrong and confess it. And he's like, I can't think of anything, but I'm sure I must have done it. And then finally God, God shows up at the end and is basically like, how dare you question me? I invented the hippopotamus. I made the, the earth. I made the stars. Like, you have no idea how anything works, so why are you questioning me at all? Which is actually kind of a really fun existential, like, response. Especially as for, like, an ancient person, the idea of the reason things happen are just beyond our comprehension. The reason bad things happen, we'll never understand. Like, that's a pretty good moral. But then, the earliest manuscripts do not have the last chapter of Job. And then the last chapter of Job gets added in, where God rewards him for his faithfulness. And he gets twice as many goats, twice as many cows, and twice as many kids. Born to his, like, 50-year-old wife. <laughs> yep. For some reason, she gets to have 14 kids. <laughs> and that's a blessing? Yeah. God damn it, I think so. <laughs> So I really feel like somebody read that and was like, this is depressing. It needs a happy ending. And then like did fan fiction. And now there's fan fiction in the Bible. I love that. One of you telling that reminded me like one of the like formative, not uh, formative is not the right word. The formation of my deconstruction mm-hmm. of Christianity came from the story of um, Abraham and Isaac yeah. and sacrificing him. And I take that story, for those that, that don't know, um, uh, Abraham was told that he was going to have a child. Abraham's known as it, like the father, like Father Abraham, the father of J- the Jews. Every single Jew yes. traces their ancestry back to Abraham. He was the first one. He was God's first chosen. So he had one son, and the idea was God had promised him a great nation. And it's like... come from the son. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, continue. so... No, you're okay. (laughs) And so, like, he's super stoked about it. He's got this great son. And then God comes to him and is like, you got to sacrifice your son to prove your love for me. And so he takes him up. He's like, okay, I guess I got to do this. And he, so he takes them up on this long journey, takes Isaac, they go up there, and Isaac is like, all right, where's the goat that we're sacrificing? Let's get on with this. And Abraham is like, I'm going to have to sacrifice you. God told me to do it. And then basically God just kind of comes in and goes, JK, JK, I just wanted to see if you'd do it or not, like <laughs> yeah. right before he stabs him. <laughs> 
there's, and, a, there's a goat over there in the bush that I provided yeah. for you so you don't have to kill your son. And, JK, I just wanted to know that you would do it. I'm not going to make you do it, but... Yeah. yeah. But, like, you see the story, and you look at it from every single angle, and the only answer you can come up with is that God's really fucked up to do that. Like, he's really fucked up. He's really... Yeah. That's not a guy I want to be associated with at all. Mm-mm. I mean, and you also... Could, and, like, he's supposed to be this all-loving, all-wonderful thing. No. Imagine that is just, like, your your favorite dude, your best friend, is like, oh, yep, I guess I'm gonna, like, you need to go kill your son. You're gonna be like, what the fuck? No. No. <laughs> Imagine, like, you're, like... If you had a king or something and your king tells you to kill your son, your only son, you wouldn't do that. No. You would be and like, just, no, that's an evil thing to do. It's it's just a fucked up thing to ask, let alone carry yeah. it out. Yeah. I mean, the moral of this story that I always heard when I was a kid was that that was God telling us that he doesn't like child sacrifice by asking for it and then saying psych at the end. <laughs> Oh, there's so many f- it's freaking weird stories in the Bible. Weird. Weird stories. There's one where um, Joshua, who is um, taking over the promised land, which is Israel, he marches in with his army to go and destroy everybody. And they like take over Jericho, which is the famous story, but there's a lot of stories after that. And... Um, one of them is they're, like, sorting about how much spoils they had gotten in their last battle, the last city they had sacked and genocided everybody. And there was, like, one family that didn't kill everybody or, like, kept some goats for themselves or some oxen or something. And Joshua goes up to them who inherited the leadership from Moses. Or not Moses. Yeah, from Moses. And Joshua's like, hey... Is everything accounted for? You didn't keep anything extra for yourself? And the head of the family, the patriarch, is like, no, no, we didn't do that. And then he's like, God sees how evil and wicked you are. And then the earth literally opens up and swallows (laughs) this dude's, like, swallows him, swallows his family, swallows his tent, swallows his slaves, swallows all of the oxen or whatever they kept and all their wealth, and just closes up after him. And it's like, that's why you don't test God. And it's like, okay, that's that's the moral of the story is don't lie. <laughs> it, just, it just seems like a really, really abusive relationship. Yeah. And like, no wonder that the people growing up in these, with these kind of like social role models are doing really fucked up things. Mm-hmm. Because you're taught that God is perfect and God is all loving and this is how he acts. So yeah, yeah, either you get either you get out of it or you or you try to model that kind of behavior. I have an uncle who's quiverful, like <laughs> he would teach and he used to come up to me and he said, um, just so you know, God says blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And I was like, "Oh, okay." And he says, "Do you know how many are in a quiver?" It's like, "No. 5." <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I was like, 
Where did you get that? And also, you only have three kids. <laughs> the other why two are still coming. Say, They're still did, coming. Why did you say five? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, that's just how many are in a quiver. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, <laughs> Looking back now, there's a lot of things that are really funny. That at the time were just so confusing to me. Yes. Yes. Agreed. It makes a lot more sense when you realize that the whole Bible was just like written by people who were trying to figure things out or who had an agenda. And, um. But that, you're not allowed to question it because it came from God himself. Right. He was the one that wrote through all of these people. Right. So every. Every, you know, written account of this and the translations are true and accurate because God would not allow it any other way. Oh, even though the translations are not true and accurate? No, not at all. But, yeah. When I was really close to deconstructing and, like, I was still teaching Sunday school at the time, I remember saying in Sunday school, I was like, You know, one of the problems with the Bible is that people can kind of take it to mean whatever they want, which is one reason we have so many denominations and we have so many people arguing over Mm -hmm. things. It's because, you know, you can kind of say, you can pick and choose and make it say whatever you want it to say. And one of the people in my Sunday school class got so mad at me, was like, no, it only says one thing and that's all it says. And I was like... (laughs) (laughs) So who decides... You know, who says that? Who is it you? what's the one thing? Yeah, or is it me because I'm the teacher here? <laughs> and also, at the time, I was, I was the man and she was a woman, so obviously <laughs> I could tell her to shut up. <laughs> yes. Oh. You were the patriarch, you're in charge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm so, I'm so happy I left that behind. Me too. Oh, did you ever read the Left Behind books? Yes. Yes, I did. <sighs> Those are traumatizing, too. Very traumatizing. So, I also read, um, I don't think it was as popular, and it was way more, like, fictionalized. Did you know the Door Within series? No, I haven't heard of it. Tell me about it. So, um, it was basically, there was this regular world, and then this kid falls into... It's been a really long time since I've read, but he falls into this alternate universe that's like medieval times, but there's dragons and all this kind of stuff, and everything is very personified of God's side and the devil's side, mm-hmm. and like it is just rife with biblical allegories and like so kind of like Narnia, the, very Narnia, okay. very Narnia, but more kitty. And, um, think a little higher fantasy than Narnia. I mean, it sounds kind of fun. It was fun. It was honestly really good. Uh, I've been curious, but it's like, I don't want to read through three books that I read through like five times as a kid. I don't, I don't want to do that again. Who who wrote them? Do you remember? Was it Ted Decker? No. Wayne Thomas Batson. I haven't heard of it. Mm-hmm. Sounds fun, though. 
Yeah, it it was. I remember really liking it, and it obviously fed into the religious beliefs and all of that kind of stuff. There was a book that I read. There was a a few like Christian books that were kind of really fun that I enjoyed. One author I really liked was Frank Peretti, which is like a Christian version of Stephen King. Yes, and he would have like angels and demons fighting while you know all of the Christians were gathered in prayer. And their prayers gave the angels, you know, enough strength to overcome the demons. Or you'd have like a book with this archaeologist who goes into Egypt and then there's a demon that's sealed behind these doors, like an ancient Egyptian demon. You know, weird shit like that. And it was fun. I don't think I read any of these books, but I remember it being a very common thing to see, like, my my church friends carrying these books. Mm -hmm. One of them got made into a movie. It it wasn't very good. (laughs) It wasn't as bad as God's Not Dead, though. Oh, God. God's Not Dead, I can credit with, like, kickstarting my deconversion process. Because I remember thinking that anybody who made this or watched it and didn't see how, like, hateful it was and how gross it was and was like, hey, that's a really good, like, version of Christianity to follow. And it's so disrespectful to anybody and it's such a straw man and it's gross and terrible and it's gross. It's fun to watch to like laugh at. But if you're like watching it and nodding and thinking, yeah, that's how atheist professors act. That's how we should act as Christians. I just remember being like, how can you anybody watch this and think it's good? And so that was kind of like one of the huge seeds that planted my deconversion. Do you also remember the movies like Fireproof? Oh yeah. And I'm trying to remember the name of the studio that Pure produced Flex. all these. Yes, with an X. Mm-hmm. Just like yep. Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I remember those always being like really big church things of like, oh, we're gonna get everybody in on a Friday night and we're gonna watch the new, the new Christian movie. Yeah, it was a whole thing. And they're all terrible. <laughs> they're all terrible. <laughs> they're all really bad. I think for me, like, I was like, why is every single piece of Christian art so bad? Why are they all so emotionally inconsistent? Why are all of the non-Christian characters suddenly converted at the end? Or dead? And They're not allowed to be subtle with their themes. No. They have to be, like bashing you over the head with it every single moment. And along those lines, I still love the Chronicles of Narnia. Me too. I think Narnia is so fun, and I think it's one of the few that is, like, well done. But C.S. Lewis was a good author. Yes. I mean, he hung out with J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes. That's, like, the one thing that I have against Tolkien is that he led Lewis to Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wish you hadn't. <laughs> Wish you I hadn't mean, done that, buddy. <laughs> I mean, to to show the kind of Christian I was, uh, especially in my high school days. My favorite, my favorite book was the Screw Tape Letters. Oh yeah, I really liked that one too. <laughs> uh huh. It was uh, for those that don't know, the Screw Tape Letters was um, this like fictionalized, like. Um, 
a very experienced demon writing to, like, a new demon that's, like, trying to figure out how to trick the humans. How to tempt them. kind of stuff. How to tempt them and draw them into sin. Mm. And it's quite a fascinating read. I would, that's something I would love to read. I've not read that since I've deconstructed. It's actually still pretty good. I I mean, maybe that's just my nostalgia talking, but I also had the audiobook that was read by Andy Serkis, Oh my god, really? Yes! I didn't know that existed. Right? And he would do these, <laughs> this like great voice where he's like, well, I'm the bad, the evil demon! And it's like, oh, it's scary and it's fun. Yes. And um, I don't know, for some reason I just kind of always liked it. And there was like some actual like good parts, like good wisdoms in there that I l- learned. Like, there's this story about how one of my favorite accomplishments was teaching the humans to like always be nice to the other human without ever making our desires known. And so like this husband was cooking or this wife was cooking the husband meatloaf and the wife hated cooking meatloaf and hated eating it, but thought the husband really liked it. And the husband hated meatloaf, but thought the wife really liked cooking it. And so they just sat there and suffered in silence. (laughs) And he's like, I'm so proud of this. (laughs) That is pretty masterfully evil. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've just kind of was like, oh, okay, that's like, so communicate. (laughs) If you don't like something, just say it. That's not allowed in Christian marriages. It's not. Yeah, I know. But that was like new to me. (laughs) Anyway. So... To bring back to something that I had talked about, do you still struggle with um, finding yourself in those, like, stricken moments of guilt or anything like that? Is that something you still struggle with ever? I'll answer and then I'll throw the question back at you. Mm -hmm. Um, There are certain things that I am definitely not as confident in as if I would have... Uh, deconstructed earlier. Um, Particularly, like, in regards to, like, my sex and sexuality and things like that. Um, A lot of that is just because growing up, trying to be a boy, especially (laughs) when I am not, (laughs) yeah, and trying to navigate because like my mom got really into that whole courtship thing and when my mom was into something and you're homeschooled that is what you're into and you don't have any option to choose anything else and the idea behind courtship is you know you have to the man has to ask the girl's father for permission to to even date and then you have to date with the intention of getting married and not just because you enjoy spending time together And so, like, I was really, really, really hopeless when it came to dating for a really, really long time because I didn't know any other way to do that. And I thought, like, even kissing before marriage was wrong and felt guilty about that. So, obviously, my first relationship didn't last very long because there was no way that I could be present in it. There was no way that I could, you know actually I 
have what's what's a good way to put it? I couldn't yeah, I couldn't be present in the relationship. I I couldn't you were too afraid of stumbling yeah, into sin yeah. and getting lost in the moment. Yeah. Or, I yeah. I know that she liked me a lot, but I liked her too. And then I kind of got to the point where, uh-oh, I like you too much. And then I started pulling away because I was afraid that I would fall into sin if I spent too much time with her. And eventually I ended up breaking up with her. And... Like, I don't think she was the right person for me, but I definitely went about that in the wrong way because I had, I thought I was doing the right thing for God rather than the right thing for me or the right thing for her or the right thing for anybody else involved. And there still is a bit of that because I'm like very much kind of like, I've got a lot more top energy than I think I let on, if that makes sense. But I'm kind of afraid to show that just because I've been so conditioned not to. If that makes sense. No, I completely understand. Yeah. So I kind of like have to get, I have to like know it's okay from that person before I like do that or show that side of myself. And then once I know that they're like on board, then it's like, okay. (laughs) So I believe I was about to go into a story. You had reminded me and what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. My cousin, um, his wife he shared his first ever kiss, and her first ever kiss was on their wedding day. Mmm. Delicious. And, um, <laughs> so, like, witness Was it a really like awkward kid? Was it a yeah. really awkward kiss, well, I mean? Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But... Um, these were the two, these were the type of people that, like, they wouldn't even hang out completely alone together because they did not want to fall into temptation. So, so they, they always, always had a chauffeur. Like in, they always had a chaperone or they were in, like, a semi-public place where they couldn't do anything. Yeah. And I just think of, like, it makes me really uncomfy because it's like, when people act like that, it's like they have no ability to have self-control or like to control their impulses or like, yes, sometimes I do want to kiss or have sex with someone. That doesn't mean that I have to act on it. Like I can be like, no, now's not the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like but you have more self-control than a Christian make. does. <laughs> I, I guess so. And I remember, uh, uh, I don't know. I was always so confused by that. But yeah, they didn't have their true, like, first completely alone moments Mm -hmm. until after marriage. Are they still married? They are. Yeah. I mean, they have to be, so. And this was... This was ten years ago that they married? Yeah. So... I know a lot of people who kind of did that. Like, um, one of my friends that I knew from that Bible school I went to, they didn't kiss until their wedding day. It was a really awkward wedding. Uh, One thing about homeschooling (laughs) is that um, when you see like a kid who's really, really weird, you never know if they're like, you you play the game. Are they autistic or homeschooled? You know what I mean? Yes. And like I had to play that game with myself really late into my adult life. (laughs) And sometimes I still wonder, like... (laughs) 
Maybe I'm both. I wasn't homeschooled, so it's an easy one for me to tell. <laughs> ah, and, hey, who cares where it comes from? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if homeschooling causes autism... <laughs> poster child (laughs) (laughs) oh god Uh, tell that to the anti-vax weirdos maybe they'll stop homeschooling (laughs) (laughs) I doubt it (laughs) but it would be really funny if a study came out and was Uh, like yeah homeschoolers have a higher prevalence of autism yeah Uh, I mean I wouldn't be surprised I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, there was always a certain social aspect that homeschoolers missed. There was just, I don't know, there was just, they communicated differently. Mm-hmm. And I was surrounded by a lot of homeschoolers, so, like, that was a culture that I knew, but I wasn't part of. Yeah. And, like, you could quickly point to who was homeschooled and who wasn't. And be right, like, 90% of the time. Adults thought that I was extremely well-behaved and very mature. And every kid my age thought I was so weird. So weird. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and then adding all of the religious stuff on top of that is even even more. And the gender stuff on top of that. I will say I'm maybe getting a little distracted at this point, but for me, after going through that deconstruction process, because deconstructing for me took about two years of, like, really intense, kind of traumatic self-reflection. And then when I figured out I was trans after that, it was, like, not traumatic at all. It was like, oh, I've done this before. I've completely changed who I was before. Uh, When I deconstructed, I started going by my middle name, and Mm -hmm. I still have that middle name. I didn't change that one. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I've changed my name twice. Huh. Yeah. Well. I can always do it again. Yeah. I feel like it. It's really Mm -hmm. easy. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on where you live. Yeah, I suppose. That's true. And for what reason you're doing it, I suppose. Though it's not hard to just tell people, hey, can you start calling me this? And just introduce yourself to every new person as that. Eventually it catches on. That's pretty much how I am with Celeste. That's not my first name, but like... It's who you are. My parents parents and work are the only ones that call me by my legal first name. And that was what I legally changed it to. So there's no like dysphoria attached to my first name. It's just not what I ever go by anymore. Yeah. Celeste is cute too. I like it. I keep trying to fight the urge to introduce another name. Cause I've had another name for a long time and I'm like, mm, we're not doing that yet. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, I'll be excited when no. it happens. It'll happen. It'll happen eventually. So here's a question. What advice would you give <clears throat> Your younger self. Remember that when 
look at people and you see whatever they're going through, um, even if it doesn't make sense to you, that they're also a human being, and they probably have pretty real reasons for being why they're at where they're at. And just to be less judgmental about whatever those things are. I think the only thing that I could have told my younger self that I would have accepted, like if my younger self saw me now, I would be like, um, but no, you can't do that, that sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because I was so, like, sold out to what my parents said and what I thought God said and all of those things. That if younger me saw me, younger me would have been like very distraught that this is what I had turned into. Yeah. So I, younger me would have been distraught as well. Yeah. yeah. So. And, you know, I think the only thing that I could have said that younger me would hear would be like, just keep going. It gets better. It'll be, it'll be better someday. Just keep surviving. And, and you'll find it. You'll, you'll find that joy in life. It might take time, but you'll find it. And I think I kind of always had this like feeling that I would. And it just did not take the form that I expected. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It's much better than I expected, to be honest. Agreed. Yay. <laughs> Agreed. Yay! <sighs> and to reflexively ask on myself something I'd asked you of earlier. Yes, because I was, I wanted to hear. <laughs> I yeah, I said yeah, I was going to ask you back. <laughs> no, it's okay. We got, we got lost in bathroom breaks. We did, yeah. Oh, I'm blurry. And uh, my answer comes out to pretty similar to yours. It is a very much a struggle with sexuality and um, specifically just that type of intimacy. So growing up, um, I did have exposure to other people my age and like, I was very attracted attracted to girls and wanted to do that kind of thing. But there was always just this like misunderstanding in it. And what I mean by that is like, it never clicked. I always, I always ended up coming across as like girls, gay best friend, but I wasn't, I didn't like dudes. And like, I tried really hard. I'm like, am I actually gay? Like, this is how I'm always being perceived. Like, am I? Like, I had multiple times of like, reflexively of like, is that true? And it's like, I really don't think so. I mean, I was, but in a lot more complicated way. Yeah, right. And it was just... The way I was attracted to girls wasn't a straight boy attraction mm -hmm. and and so it never like connected quite right like most of my friends were girls and like the ones I had the closest bonds with and like we would tell each other all the like 
stuff that like teenagers talk to each other about. Yeah. Like they would vent to me about their shitty ass boyfriends and all of that kind of stuff. And it was always like very confusing because it's like, what am I doing wrong? Why does this not feel quite right? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was very much like, why am I always attracted <clears throat> to the lesbians? <laughs> <laughs> See, there there weren't many lesbians around where I was at, so... There wasn't for me... Well, also, I just kind of wasn't allowed in women's spaces because I was homeschooled. And then yeah. when I went to college, I was in a fraternity. And so, like, I just wasn't in... There weren't women... I mean, mm-hmm. I did develop those close relationships, but it was kind of in spite of where I was. You know what I mean? Sorry, I didn't mean to derail. But I'm just saying no, I very, very much fine. relate with that. And it was just always so confusing. And that's on top of the, like, religious struggles of, like, I knew deep within my soul that, like, if I got a girlfriend and, like, she was into doing more, I would 100% do it. Like, I would. But I never found myself in that situation until into adulthood. Because, mm-hmm. like, I had my first girlfriend. Um, I was... 17 and senior in high school and she was long distance so it wasn't even like those kind of possibilities weren't really possible and I didn't have my first like real in-person girlfriend until I was 20 yeah that was when I had my first too And I was in the beginning stages of deconstructing all of that, but, you know, I was um, a virgin at that time still, and going through all of that, and I had a couple different girlfriends, and weirdly enough, uh, Kel, who's my wife now, was the first person that I was, like, I would consider, like, truly sexually active with in any sort of regularity. And so we were together, we got married, we did all of that stuff. And I still thought I was a boy through all of that situation. And then, you know, I realize I'm trans and that throws a whole like wrench in the thing, but there's like, a whole curve. One of the first, yeah. But w- one of the first things that like, she confessed to me like three months into us dating and she's like, she sat me down and in a very, like, serious tone, and I'm like, oh, she's just about to break up with me. And she was like, I need to tell you something. Like, I'm I'm attracted to girls. And I'm like, she's going to come out as a lesbian to me and break up with me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, like, I know that. And I was like, and? She was like, no, that's that's it. Like, I'm, I'm bi. And I'm like, oh, I knew that already. <laughs> <laughs> She was like, what do you mean? I'm like, we point out hot girls to each other all the time. I don't. (laughs) So when I came out to her, when I came out to my wife as trans, it was like the biggest non-issue. Like, it was just a, okay, cool. You got lucky. Which is, I I got stupidly lucky. I'm fully aware of that. And... Through all of that, and then through analyzing things, and, like, 
then crept in the like, oh, I never got to like be a girlfriend to somebody. I never got to do all of those things. I never got to date as a girl. I never knew what that experience was like. And like, guess I'll never get to experience that. And then through many conversations and stuff, my wife and I started, we became poly. Mm -hmm. And that was something that happened and has been, has had lots of very weird ups and downs that I never would have imagined in my life would play out the way they do. But it's been good, but it's often in that that I feel my religious guilt. My, you know, sometimes, it's honestly pretty rarely, but sometimes sexually active with people that is not my wife. And, like, everybody knows, and it's not like a sneaking behind anybody's back kind of thing. But it's like, I get caught in that a lot, and then I have a hard time, like, enjoying the moments so lots of, you know, sexual repression and all of the things that entails. It's, as you said, it's earlier in one of your stories, it's hard to live in the moment when you're feeling that. Yeah. Do you think that's something that will get better with time? I think so. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I I I think so, because like, in the grand scheme of things, of like in the deconstruction of specifically that type, I've not had to do, but for, but about a year now, so still relatively new. Of like working through that and like reminding myself, like I'm not doing anything wrong. I am not hurting anybody. I am not you know, breaking boundaries with anybody. You're communicating openly. Yeah, openly and honestly and all of that kind of stuff. So I think it will get better. It's just the time thing. And part of that deconstruction, especially recently, has come with resentment towards my parents for having me grow up in that type of scenario. Yeah. For letting me go to a kingdom hall on Sundays and, like, I can't imagine dragging, like, a six-year-old to the kingdom hall to enjoy the sermon of the week. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, I get... When I when I really start thinking about that, I get pretty upset about it. And of like, I don't... I don't have a way to come with come to terms with that other than the fact that I know they were just doing the best they could with what they knew. Mm-hmm. And like I believe that genuinely. Mm-hmm. There was not any sort of malice or ill intent in what they did or how they raised me, but damn did it scar me. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's that same thing with me and my parents because It was really easy for me to become very, very, very upset at them for isolating me, for making me live that pandemic-style isolation for my whole life, and not allowing me to socialize, not allowing me to find who I was until much later in life, and 
for shoving this religious indoctrination down my throat from a very young age, but when I look at it from their perspective, they were doing the best that they could. They were doing... Mm-hmm. So they, they were tr- literally trying their best and trying very hard they at it. They were doing what they thought was best for themselves and for you. Yeah. Like, that was the intent. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they weren't aware of the consequences of that. And they weren't aware of the consequences of homeschooling, the consequences of Christianity, the consequences of any of that. And so my frustration and anger towards them has softened a lot recently. But that was definitely something that I had to work through. And there still is a lot of frustration and frustration towards them because they won't um, they're, they're never going to change their ways and they're never going to change their beliefs and they're digging their heels deeper into that you know, kind of extremist Republican kind of views but also it's like if I had had this exact same upbringing as them, I might have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, yeah. I, th- I think my ability to forgive them has become a lot stronger lately. But, yeah, I, I, I hear it's, what you're saying. It's definitely like, and of course, as with all things, there's layers to it all. There's... There's all there's like since transitioning there's been a half-hearted acceptance of me of accepting that transition of them taking a year and a half to finally start getting my name and pronouns right like more than 50% of the time and it's that thing of like I love you no matter what but like when it's said it's always like there's an emphasis on the no matter what it's like I've decided to start injecting myself with heroin on the daily basis. Yeah. And like, it's almost like it's that kind of thing. And they're just being like socially pressured into accepting this. And it's a really, really hard thing for me to just be like, this middle ground of it sucks because I almost wish that they would just be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So I could say, fuck you, peace out. (laughs) It would be easier. That would be easier. One of my si- one of my siblings was like that. He was like, "Yeah, um, I'm never gonna bring my children around you anymore." So I'm like, "Okay, fuck you. I'm never speaking to you again." And that's easy. There was a grieving period of like a couple weeks of that, but then I'm good. The half-hearted acceptance is a lot tougher. And, like, my parents live in Florida. I just recently had to tell them, like, hey, um, I can't ever come visit you. I can't legally use the bathrooms in the airport, the proper bathroom for myself in the airport. So, like, I... And I can't believe we the have... kind of thing... Yeah, I can't believe It's the Florida's kind of thing they were like, point. oh, I didn't even know... I didn't even know that was a thing. And I was just like... God, I wish I had that privilege to not <laughs> think about that. 
to not have to check the news and be like, if I'm going to travel to another state, let's find out what laws are made against me. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I just moved 10 minutes from a town in Idaho to a town in Washington. And I like that town in Idaho more. It's it's a fun little town, but um, I can't get healthcare there. Yeah. So I have to move. Pay a little bit more in rent and pay a little bit more in gas. And um, I feel a lot safer here, though. Yeah. But it's it's one of those things that sucks that you have to do that. It sucks that that's the world that we live in. <sighs> so, yeah. just tough. Yeah. Lots of tough shit. I'm glad that you're my friend. <laughs> I'm glad you're my friend. Thanks. Too. <laughs> I'm glad we have this podcast. <laughs> we yeah. just vent about shit trauma shit <laughs> and people want to listen to this i guess, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well unfortunately the ones that really want to listen to it probably have similar upbringings or similar stories and like i wish you didn't and i'm sorry i've met so many trans homeschoolers it's so many queer homeschoolers in general mm-hmm. i think it's just The homeschool trans dude. The homeschool, the homeschool trans pipeline is real. Uh-huh. It's very real, yeah. and they don't very they real. don't want you to know about it. <laughs> Eight things your doctor doesn't want you to know about. <laughs> Number one: if you homeschool your kids in conservative Christianity, they'll probably turn out autistic and trans. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh. No, that's a highlight. We could put that on, on, a, on an ad. That's a highlight. <laughs> oh. Do we have anything else we need to talk about before we leave? We ended up not really talking about the Duggars because the Duggars themselves are not really that interesting. No, they just had a TV show. Just, they had a TV show and it was a good springboard into all of the religious shit yeah. that yeah. we've kind of touched on in previous episodes, but we've not really dove into it. I think the best thing for me about having a religious upbringing is at trivia night, I always get the Bible questions right. And also, if a Christian comes up to me and starts quoting scripture, I can just quote scripture right back at them. And then they can be like, that's even the devil in those God's words. (laughs) (laughs) Or they'll say something like, you're taking it out of context. Yeah. I'm like, how do I know you're not taking it out of context? Read me the ancient Hebrew and then we'll have a real conversation. Go. I actually studied a little bit of ancient Hebrew, but I study more ancient Greek because the New Testament was written in Greek. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh, I will say there are a few really cool things that I think I found in like learning about that stuff. I really like the idea of there being multiple words for love that describe different kinds of love. 
100%. You got that phileo love, which is like brotherly love or sibling love. There's, um, you know, agape love, which is unconditional love. And then there's like eros love, which is erotic love. And like, those are all really fun ways to differentiate that we don't necessarily have good words in English for. But I kind of feel like we need them. There was a very rich family in my town in Tennessee that on their gate, like in the metal workings, it said agape. Nice. How much did they give away um, to the poor? (laughs) Well, they were both lawyers, so. Probably not much. Much. I shouldn't say too much now. (laughs) One was a divorce lawyer. I don't know what the other lawyer was. They married each other. Their gate said agape. Oh, cute. So I thought it was funny. It's <laughs> really funny, actually. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. That the gate said agape love and one of them is a divorce gate. lawyer. It's a gate. Like, <laughs> and it's a gate. It's a gate. It's like stay out, but agape, unconditional love. <clears throat> I can unconditionally love you um, over there if you're not in view. <laughs> Don't you dare diminish my property value. <laughs> Well, I guess we are right next to the golf course, but that doesn't matter. (laughs) You know what the thing that irks me the most about Christians right Mm -hmm. now is that they're all such hypocrites because they all say, oh, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you. And then they support people who literally do the opposite of that. And all of their political candidates. Love the sinner, hate the sin. I always say, I don't mind religious people, I just hate their religion. Mm -hmm. I think I've said before. Anyway. Anyway. Do you have hope when it comes to, like, the future? Do you think more and more people are going to deconstruct and move away from the faith? Or what do you see happening? I think it's more complicated than that. I think... Yes, more will, but I think as that happens and the trajectory of how things are gone, it's only going to get more extreme, more and more extreme, and I don't know. It's pretty scary, honestly. I think that one reason that we see such radical politicization of religion is because they're realizing that they're losing a grasp on the culture. And so they're kind of like striking out to find footholds in whatever way they can, which is why you see like such extreme gerrymandering in Florida and other places too. So do I have hope? Kind of. Um, in the grand scheme of like how many people are under its control, I think less and less. But as far as their cultural influence, I still foresee for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's still kind of hard to imagine a president that isn't a Christian or a Catholic right? at this point. Yeah. Like, a, we would have a hard time getting an atheist elected. Mm-hmm. We would. At least someone that's outwardly. Yeah. Even if they're not an asshole about it, they're just like, no, I don't believe that. And like, that's all they comment on it. Mm -hmm. They would have a hard time. 
Can can I ask you kind of a personal question? Yeah. What would you describe as your religious beliefs now? I It probably falls somewhere in the agnostic realm. Um my wife has introduced me to lots of very cool um pagan and um witch type things and i really enjoy that not for myself i just enjoy the environment of it yeah and all of that kind of stuff um it's often very comforting and not judgmental and really doesn't require anything other than just being kind to people and that's what i believe but i also don't believe in just the raw we're all just meat bags on a floating rock and there's nothing else to it i believe in a soul whatever that means i think there's still just special essence about people that is uncomparable to anything else but that's important i'm really big on energy and on vibes and all of that kind of stuff. And I don't understand that super basic bitch thing to say, but like, Hey, the only people who get mad at, or the only people who insult something with basic bitch are people who don't deserve, um, insulting things, honestly. Yeah. So like, I don't know. There's a comfort in all of that. I wouldn't like throw my cards into any race and like hell if the christians are right i still don't care what they're about isn't what i'm about Mm -hmm. even if all of what they're preaching is true and so that's kind of how i fall on that it's a big i kind of just i don't know do my best to be kind to people Give off as much good as I can. I'm also not perfect. So. Oh, yes, you are. You're oh, perfect you. just the way you are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I feel that. Can I answer for myself? Yes, please. I was just about to ask you. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. So, Marcia, <laughs> what are your current religious beliefs where do you fall on the grand spectrum of beliefs and understanding of yourself and of the world well thank you for asking celeste (laughs) um the the term that i like to use right now because it kind of confuses people is a spiritual atheist Mm. um because i still believe that there's like something deeper to life that can't be measured with like scientific means, you know, you can't put a ruler up on your sense of love and measure it. There's, there's literally no way you can do that. There's people talk about in psychology, a lot about the hard problem of consciousness and philosophy. Where does consciousness come from? What is it about and who who does it? Um, I'll give a shout out to a podcast I've been listening to. It's called Mind Chat. 
and their tagline is the best philosophy with the worst production values, which is like really, <laughs> really like speaks to my soul. <laughs> uh, we embody we that. We do, yes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and they had one of my favorite uh, philosophers on who's called Donald Hoffman. And he's he's been working a lot with like evolutionary game theory to try and understand consciousness and how we perceive reality, how close it is to actual reality. And there's kind of this idea behind it that when you start looking at the math, it starts to look very, very Buddhist with this idea that there's one consciousness and we are all aspects of it. And we all view the world in ways that are completely unaligned with reality. You know, our perceptions do not allow us to see, you know, the building blocks of reality. We only see a very small neck, uh, spectrum of visible light. And, but we all have kind of like this consciousness that moves us and animates us. And I think there's something very spiritual about that. I think there's, I kind of like the idea that we are all this conscious force of the universe experiencing ourselves and we're all just different interfaces for it. So when we interface with each other through conversation and through getting to know each other, we're kind of getting to know kind of a greater aspect of a bigger picture of who we are and ourselves. Then when you start inter- there's oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I'm then so when sorry. you start introducing like time and sp- time space into that, and you start introducing you know quantum theory into that, you get into some really really interesting like realms that are really fascinating, and they start aligning with a lot of. You know, you start looking at panpsychism and it starts looking like a lot of very similar to pantheism. And it's just really interesting when the math starts to kind of line up with these like old, old ideas from Buddhism and stuff. And they're like, you came to this conclusion that you didn't even realize you were going towards that people have been saying for thousands of years. And to me, that's something that's really cool and really special. And I don't think that, I don't think that any of us will ever understand it completely because we're all imperfect and we're all just one interface for reality. But I really like that idea that there is kind of like this depth, this like deeper thing, this like deeper meaning that we're all kind of experiencing, but none of us can exactly quantify. And so I'm really open. I've, I've really enjoyed starting. I've been starting to celebrate pagan holidays, like the equinox and the Mm -hmm. solstice. And those have a lot more meaning to me than, you know, these kind of commercialized holidays like Christmas ever really did. Mm -hmm. And it's been really fun allowing myself to be open to that sort of spirituality. So go ahead. I think that's the end of my like answer. That. Thank you. No, you're no, you're okay. Oh. I'm sorry for butting in. I thought you were at like a break. <laughs> so what you were telling me just reminded me of a short story, and I looked up who it was by. By Andy. Yep, Weir. Andy Weir. The egg. The egg. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that story. It's that. it's that. We should put a story. We should put a link to that in the show notes because it's such a good story. Yes. And it's a very short read. It's, it's like a blog post. Like, yeah, it's like five minutes. Very good. 
Do you want to describe it for the audience, or do you want to yes. make them all go read it? <laughs> well, you should go read it, but it's the story. Pause of right someone... now and go read it, and then you can come back and listen to the yes, story. Please, please, it'll it'll really just take you like less than five minutes. It's super short. Okay. Okay. Have Have you paused? I have. Okay. Now hit play. <laughs> I paused it and I read Wait, it. If you're paused, how can I tell you to hit play? <laughs> We're getting lost. Here. We're getting lost. It's a little bit meta <laughs> okay. right now. <laughs> it's a little bit. Just a little bit. So it's the idea character dies and then they're talking to assumedly God mm-hmm. in their death. And through the conversation that the character has with God, you learn that every person that has ever existed was also you. You were born, and you lived a life, and then you died, and you were reborn as someone else inside of this continuum of all of life. (laughs) And through all of your experiences, you don't necessarily remember, but you still grow over time. It's a very short synopsis of a very short, short story. And basically the idea is that every single life is the same life, but experienced in different ways. And that they're all growing, and that's why it's called the egg. Because it's all kind of like leading towards something bigger. It's always leading towards being able to understand yourself. Understand humanity. There's something about that that's very, very beautiful. And also, it just is a good perspective to treat people nicer, yeah. you know. If every single person you... People that say really shitty things, there's still, like, some kind of compassion to be had for them. And I understand that might be a radical viewpoint to some people, but... Hey, when Jesus came and said, love your enemies, that was a radical thing. Kind of the same idea. Yes. All of the great spiritual leaders through time kind of have said the same thing. And I think there's a reason that it resonates with us. I think because there's truth in it. We've we've spent most of this episode bashing Christianity. There are still some good nuggets of truth in there, mm-hmm. and that is kind of what help has helped it persist over time because there's some actual good things being said there. Just not all of it. No, and it, it gets co-opted by bad actors. Yes. <sighs> Love your neighbor. Be nice to each other. Be excellent to each other. Yes. <laughs> As the great guru Bill and Ted said. <laughs> Now I will worship Bill and Ted. <laughs> Wild stallions. This has been a great conversation. It has been a good conversation. Should we do our Thank you for having it with me? Yes, thank you for joining me. Should we do our um how long have we been talking? Um almost two hours? Yeah, uh, an hour and 54 minutes and 35 seconds. Nice. Let's close out. Yep. 
do our plugs, thank our Patreons. Thank uh, the Robin Shake Down Band for our song Shadows in the Sun that we do as our theme song because it's such a banger tune. Go and listen to the rest I of the stuff. I like how this is a third person outro, but we're still giving the outro while giving instructions <laughs> to do it. <laughs> and I believe it's our patrons. They're not Patreon. Oh, right. Our patrons Patreon on Patreon. Is the website. They, yes, our patrons. Thank you all so much. The stuff that we do, the recording software, the website, the all of the stuff kind of costs money. You kind of help it so that it doesn't cost us money to keep that stuff running. Not as much. Because, yeah, at least less. So we appreciate you. And if you ever want to come support us, you can come see our beautiful faces. We are... We'll have full videos. And you'll get access to all of the content early in video format for a mere $5 a month. Mere. What a deal. Mere. Mere Christianity. <laughs> Is that the title Wait, of this call- episode? <laughs> no. Okay, good. I refuse. I refuse. Uh, no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being the voice of reason. <clears throat> no. I'll put my foot down on that one. I appreciate, no. I appreciate you. I appreciate oh, you. Oh, thanks. So... You can always come follow me on Twitter, and I'll keep calling it Twitter, no matter what <laughs> that, you know, whatever that fuckhole decides to change its name and logo to. Yeah. It is Twitter. Come follow me there. Um, I am at least slightly less shadow banned than I was before. I'm gaining followers for the first time in like four months. Cool. So, at Sapphic Celeste there. I am also on Threads, where I am also at Sapphic Celeste. And I'm also on Blue Sky, where I'm at Sapphic Celeste. Look at Mm -hmm. that. Consistent branding across platforms. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I'm on Threads at Ono Marcia. I'm on Mastodon at Antichrist.LGBT. Like A-U-N-T-Y. Antichrist. Antichrist. Is that great? It's a great name, by the way. Thank you. I love it. I kind of want to, like, consistently rebrand myself as Antichrist everywhere, just so that if I ever get popular, I can have, like, the religious people throw a fit. Yeah. Um, and especially because, okay, can I tell one more story about religious funkiness? Please. We've never had one consistent (laughs) outro. Don't let this be the first. (laughs) Don't okay. dare let this be the first. When I was a kid, all of my heroes were like prophets from the Bible, because that was the book that I got to read. I also, mm-hmm. uh, I can go into other things later, but anyway, um, I love the whole idea of, um, okay, so there's this, there's these characters in Revelation who are like these two prophets and they're like the two prophets of the end times. They're the only ones who are like dedicated to God at the during Satan's reign over Earth, and they like get killed and tortured in the most like terrible fashion, and then they come back to life after three days or whatever, and they start performing all these miracles, and like everybody is like, "Oh, God is actually real," because these two prophets who everybody hated. And we killed, came back to life, and started telling everybody about things. And I was like, oh, if I ever lived through the end times, that's who I would want to be. I would, <laughs> I would want to be one of these guys who get killed and tortured in the most terrible fashion. But then comes back and everybody finds out it's true. 
And then now that I've deconstructed, I'm like, ooh, actually, I think the Antichrist would be more fun. <laughs> so, and so that also just reminds... So okay. I've got, go, like, go, go, go. Uh, there's all these, like, signs of the Antichrist that I'm like, I can I can technically say I, I am that one. Like, the Antichrist has a, has a mortal wound that healed, right? And I have this huge scar on my chest from when I had cancer, which is a mortal wound that healed. <laughs> and then it's like the Antichrist is very charismatic and can keep a crowd under their spell and I'm like, oh, I can do that. And it's like, wouldn't it be the greatest if the Antichrist was a trans woman? Like, that would go against <laughs> everything. So, I love it. now if the revelation happens, I just want to be the Antichrist. <laughs> <sighs> Goals. Goals right? Honestly. But Antichrist. But that, that oh, also, because Antichrist. I still kind of like Jesus, like, honestly. So I'm like, yeah, no, it's just, I am trying to be like Christ. Don't you get that? something you all don't understand if you did not grow up deeply ingrained in the church is sometimes unusually common you'd be approached with a scenario of someone puts a gun to your head and asks you if you believe in jesus christ what do you say Mm -hmm. And the answer is supposed to be, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. And you get your head shot yeah. off. And, like, that's supposed to be the rational answer. And that's fucking bonkers that, like, we talk to kids with that kind of Talk scenario. to, like, six-year-old I mean, kids not, asking them that question. Yeah. I mean, not we, but, like, people. People do that. And, like, I was six, and I, I didn't know that was a weird question. You're like, oh, well, it seems like the answer you want me to give is, yes, I say this. So, yes, I definitely say this. And I, like, thought about that question a lot because I thought that that would come up a lot. I thought that that would happen yeah. to me in my life a lot. <laughs> once you get your once a month gun to the head, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. See, I always knew I would answer yes. I was a kid. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I, God will come down and be like, see, it was just a test, psych. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last time, it's not a test, and then you get shot. So, be a martyr for Jesus. That's our whole goal here. Just be a martyr for Jesus. Oh, yeah. you could, know, that's what we're preaching. I could talk about that weird shit for another hour. <laughs> yep. And I think we need to end it. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to end it. <laughs> so thank you for tuning uh, in to Marcy and I rambling. We're the worst of the ramblers. Of the we're three the of best us. of the so, ramblers. What are you talking about? Um, the highest quality and the most consistently derailing. <laughs> so the fact that we held a consistent conversation is pretty miraculous. I'm pretty proud of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Me too. Bye, everybody. Love you. I love it. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.